through. And I appreciate those who are still following and listening. Um, definitely through that introduction little snippet that we have here, I'm hoping that we get some people that are on board. I think that it's pretty cool that I started to become a mental health therapist at 23. Again, 23. So that's right at the beginning of starting your 20s. And I can't wait to share you with you all the parallel between going through my own journey of self-help and also giving some skills and some tactics on how to battle it on your own. It's actually really interesting because, you know, I'm not a best-selling author. I'm not someone that's already out in the, the world like Jay Shetty or Brene Brown. But I'm someone that could be so local to you and so relatable. So I'm hoping that we can get this thing started. Thank you. This is Courtney, and we're back with Grow Through What You Go Through, and this is episode one. I know that I had kind of told you that there's going to be topics for each episode, and for the first one, I thought that we could start with self-awareness. Yeah, I'm giving that dramatic pause to what self-awareness is, because sometimes you don't know that you are self-aware, or you don't know that you're about to start becoming self-aware. In, in the healing process... Self-awareness is the key start to look at you to get onto your journey, whether you want it to or not. And once you develop self-awareness, it doesn't go away, and I can promise you that one. kind of sucks, but it keeps you accountable. 
So for those of you that are new to self-help and healing, I'm glad that you're starting here with me. I'm about three years in, and it's still very new to me, and I am, like I said in my introduction, I think I'm four years in to being in the mental health field. One of my best professors that I had in grad school had once told us, as a mental health professional, you are going to need your own mental health professional. She kind of said it was it was required to be in the field, or else like if everyone is dumping onto you, what are you gonna where are you gonna dump kind of thing? Yeah, we have friends and family and people like that, but you have to be mindful. You need an outside person to kind of look in, right? So you know, circling back before we get into where my journey started, I wanted to give a brief description of what self awareness is. In logical terms, self-awareness is just being aware of your triggers, things that bother you, your your habits, your attitudes, your boundaries, your beliefs, things that kind of, you know, wrap around, like, who you are. But sometimes people don't know the insight to each one of those, you know, each one of those, like, one of those little pieces of self-awareness. And it kind of makes it hard to be mindful of how you say things, how you do things, how it affects people versus how it affects yourself, right? And, you know, giving the best definition that I can, because it's kind of easy for me, like it's something that's not new to me. It's something that I've, you know, that I've had to help people develop in our sessions as well as developing on my own. I'm actually just starting to become self-aware of my triggers, my anxieties, my what can start spirals in my brain and things like that. But we'll focus here on my journey where self-awareness began and then go from there. So hang out with me so you'll figure it out. self-awareness. A topic that is really difficult to forget about once you hear about it and once you start seeing some of your patterns and behaviors that make you you. And sometimes with the self-awareness we like some of the patterns and some of the behaviors that we do and sometimes we do not. Um, I've kind of been struggling with other noticeable patterns of mine as of lately and kind of starting to confront them in a way that I've avoided before. Mostly in relationships, both romantic and friend-wise, things have been brought to my attention by myself, by my friends, by my therapist, by my mom, by my best friend, by the men that I've had romantic relationships with, and I appreciate them for 
being open with me and having those difficult conversations to kind of help me better myself, right? And I think that I'm more receptive to hearing it because of my schooling and because that's kind of my job as both a social worker and a previous therapist of being able to call out people and help guide them through these patterns and behaviors to help them become a better person for themselves and for their and for those around them. And as of lately, one of the biggest things that has been brought to my attention is my piece in relationships specifically of why they don't kind of work out, like what piece I contribute to the ending of certain relationships. And it's been really difficult for me. And I think that being a woman in my 20s, my late 20s, it's better to figure out now than later. And I know, I know my my luck with being able to, you know, kind of confront it now opposed to later. I've seen relationships falter in, in later years because of the lack of growth and the lack of confrontation itself. I've seen things on, on reality TV shows and, you know, I kind of question, like, wow, that's what it would look like if I didn't confront it now. And it's put me in a position to always be thinking. And I know that some people in my life call me out for that, that I'm always thinking that I shouldn't be so focused and stressing myself out with the work that I do to help better myself and I could be overwhelmed. But I think that's the best part of it, in my opinion. And I'm always open to growth. And I'm glad that it's what people notice. I'm glad it's what they see. And it's, I'm glad that I can inspire others to do the same. It's not easy. Self-work is not easy at all. And I want to speak on that because once you start it, you cannot stop. There are so many bumps in the road along the way, but the right people will encourage you and you should be encouraging yourself. And I think this is the one thing that I'm so confident about is that I'm willing to do the work in my self-awareness journey and my self-help journey. Even when somebody or when people call me out, you know, I'm doing too much, I think that it is never enough. I think that there's always going to be work to be done. And once you stop growing, you kind of fail. And that's something I really, really rely on that saying because for someone that works with youth for kids, I want to help them start their journey now rather than later too. Like mine was later than I ever wanted it to be, but I still feel like I'm ahead of the game and working with kids, I want them to feel the same. Like they're going to come out of this stronger and, you know, mentally stronger too. You know, there's going to be some skills and tips that we're going to be learning together that they're going to be able to use in their future and pass on. And I think that's such a wonderful thought, right, that I get to do it with people I know and with kids and with myself. And I hope this helps you guys develop that. But kind of circling back to my thought of self-awareness, you know, and me having to deal with it every single day, I think my first thoughts in the morning kind of freak me out a little bit. I definitely roll out of bed and start going down a negative pathway that I've always been used to, if that makes sense. I wake up and start to think about something negative that, you know, or something that happened the day before that I didn't really focus on or you know, I kind of wake up with, like, this pit in my stomach every day. I've noticed it. I wake up and I start to think about, like, what needs to be done today? What 
should I fix? What should I? Can you know these like silly thoughts? And then that already jumps me right into my self awareness brain. And I'm like, hey, why are you starting the day like that? Like you're just waking up. Like you literally just sat up. Why are you already trying to ruin your day? Or why are you already trying to start? working on self when your brain isn't even awake yet like it shouldn't be awake I don't know why my brain starts to do that and unfortunately I think this is one of the negative patterns that has come from my past I must have been in a state of chaos always as a kid whether I could I knew it very well or not I think that it's a pattern that was created to protect self like how to prepare yourself for a bad day if it was going to turn that way and you know in preparation from the moment I woke up and you know, and there's a lot of, I like to think that I have a really good memory. And a lot of people tell me that too. But I think that some of the trauma I've really blocked out. And some of my childhood I've really blocked out. Cause I'm, and I'm not saying it was a bad one. I have a lot of great memories from my childhood. But there has to be a reason for this pattern. And I think that's one of them. Because I do remember a lot of rough days and, you know, kind of, dealing with whatever's thrown my way and just having to protect myself. So I think I wake up in preparation for a bad day just in case. But that's not any way to live. I want to wake up and be positive. Like My alarm actually says start your day positively. So I think I have to trap myself into having better days. You know, and we're the creators of a good day. It's all mind over matter. And I repeat that until I believe it. And I go through phases of the day. I'm like, hey, like, stop that you know, kind of thought trapping, which is something that I'll talk about later when I get into coping skills when it comes for anxiety and talking about anxiety. But I tell myself, like, stop, move on, like, reset. Even if I have to do it 100 times a day, I reset my brain in that moment because I don't want to continue to have a bad day. I don't want to spiral into a bad day every day. That's not fair. I really want to hone in on the good parts of every day because we aren't promised tomorrow. And why waste a good day on something that's happened in the past or the future and, or what you're worried about in the future? That's not okay. The present is all we have. And I know people say that they overstay that, but I think it takes a lot for us to believe it. So when I wake up, I start to do my little chores and I kind of distract myself. And even today, for example, I had the day off. I had a snowy day. Shout out to living in upstate New York. And I kind of already went into, like, what things can I do? What things can I get done? What kind of – and I kind of felt groggy for a second. And I was like, oh, I really should take this day to relax and lay here and not do anything. But then I was like, no, that's a silly waste of a day. Because I do that. I already do that. I have I have days where I do just lay around and chill out. I don't need another one. I want to be able to do my coping skills. I want to be able to do things that are fun, including this podcast. Like, I wouldn't – this is extra time I get to do this. So I want to seize the day and do it. And it, it stimulates my brain. I really do feel happy that I'm doing this. And I plan to play guitar and I plan to read. And, real, and those are my forms of relaxation. I shouldn't just be watching TV and just laying there. That's not me. That's not Courtney. And I know that. You know, and I, I, I think these are forms of relaxing. And I didn't want to get into this negative, like, oh, my head hurts, my body hurts. I, I, I don't like to give in to what my brain is telling me to do I like to do the opposite I like to challenge it and be like hey we're better than that another thing you know with you know that mind over matter mentality mentality 
is, you know, like, for example, I run every single day, no matter the weather. Yesterday it was raining and breezy and freezing, and I still ran six miles because it's mind over matter. If I told myself how cold it was or I convinced myself to stay in and do something easier, that wouldn't be me. I like a challenge, and I loved running. I love running. I love running, and I, I, I was really impressed with myself that I ran six miles, and I woke up this morning and ran three despite how freezing it was. My face was frozen <laughs> running into the wind, but it's mind over matter. If we convince ourselves that it's not going to be a good run, that we're not going to succeed, that it's too cold, we're going to really believe it. And that goes across the board, you know, running in the cold is a silly little example in comparison, right? Like we are the creators of our day. And if we don't choose it, then what's the point? And I know we're at all different steps and this is where I am. And I don't want to shame or guilt anybody, but I just want to remind you that it's mind over matter. Like we are in control of our own lives, not anybody else, not anything. I could be mindlessly scrolling through TikTok or you know, just like taking a nap, but that's not me. And I like to keep pushing myself in any direction. And I think that comes from my self-awareness of, of remembering who I am. And I'm really proud of how far I've come with this idea. So self-awareness. I kind of had the definition correctly, and I don't really know if I can quote Google, so I'm kind of glad that I went with my own way about it. Yeah, it's like the conscious knowing, the conscious knowledge of your thoughts, your desires, your ambitions, your boundaries, your triggers, things that impact who, what make you you, and you know, even the good, like foods, the good and the bad, right? So, kind of going off of self awareness, when we start, you know, kind of growing up as a kid, we're not really mindful, and we're becoming, we're forming our identity, and we don't really know who we are, even though we were kind of born with an outline of who we are. It comes from environment, our people around us, or it comes biologically, how, you know, just some genes that we have and things like that. But as you get older, you also develop your own sense of self. So what reminded me of my own self-awareness journey was hitting rock bottom. I don't know what rock bottom looks like to you, but I'll start with what it looked like to me. And it was definitely when the busyness of the world stopped and COVID hit. I lived by myself, I was newly living by myself. I had histories with living with my family, my friends, I went to college, and then I lived with my best friends when I got back to Syracuse. And then three months before COVID became itself, I moved out by myself. That kind of sent me to meet some of my demons, I wanna say. I think I've always struggled with anxiety. I definitely have heard from my mom that it started at a young age and it continued throughout my young years. My first awareness of it was definitely in high school, but it's really easy to avoid it and not confront it and not wanna get help, especially when you grew up in generations that didn't even know what therapy or, you know, in, you know there was such a negative depiction on what therapy was. You know, previous, before, even now, it's still taboo in a sense, but not as taboo as it was, even, you know, as in teen years in the early 2010s. I remember thinking that going to a social worker or a therapist meant that there was something wrong with you until it struck me that I wanted to be in that field. 
Even back then in high school when I was questioning what I wanted to be, I wanted to be a mental health therapist because I liked helping people. But I didn't know that it meant having to do my own work and find my own person to have it as well. I know I had mentioned previously that in grad school, one of my favorite professors had mentioned that in the mental health field, you have to find your own therapist. So when COVID hit, my day had finally come. I remember just feeling so isolated and alone and just in my thoughts. And I know that was where a lot of people were. We were just stuck in our thoughts, right? And everything was stressing me out. I was worried, like I, I was one of those people that was like wiping bags down when I went to the store. I was so terrified of this disease and I was so afraid to go give it to my mom or my grandma or my sister, like people that were immune compromised. And I just stayed inside worrying about like, I can't believe this is happening. I'm one of the healthiest people. And now I have to, you know, this uncommon thing had come out. And at the time I had just become a mental health therapist for middle schoolers. So it was even scarier to see the shutdown of school, the school system and seeing these kids isolated in their homes, knowing that there was going to be an increase in child abuse and anxiety and depression and just not even with just them, but with myself. So I reached out to my best friend, Maddie, and, and I know that she had a good therapist that she's been working with <clears throat> for a while. And I got the information and I reached out. I definitely loved getting involved with therapy and just opening up myself to somebody that's on the outside right so I've been going on this journey with her and she's wonderful shout out to my therapist I'm not going to name names because I don't know if she would like that I don't know if I have to fill out a disclosure or something like that but she's really great and there were times where I would kind of explain my anxiety in times of like, I don't, but I would always go back to, I don't know where my triggers, I don't know what my triggers are, I don't know where they come from, I don't know how they start, I didn't really have full sense of self-awareness at all. I definitely just created situations and went with it, if that makes sense. And it was just very frustrating to know where to even begin with myself. Obviously, in a therapist's brain, like, sometimes you want to go back to childhood or attachment styles and and you know like current situations and like do you start here and move forward or do you look backwards to see where you began and we definitely went in and out but I realized that you know being in 20s like in my 20 my year I think I started with her at 23 as well and I just felt that my primary focus was men and it definitely was hard to obviously date and everything during COVID so it felt like a complete shut off.
anyways, kind of going back to the rock bottom for me, and it has actually been very recently that I started to encounter my self-awareness. Yes, it had started to linger, but I would still have moments of weakness where I would go back to my old unhealthy habits, including drinking and texting boys and, you know, just not healthy behaviors rather than handling a situation head on. It's actually been the past month and I've been encouraged to start the podcast and why not start it right where I'm at with that self-awareness. I can't really explain the situation without sharing my history. Um, You know, starting when I was younger, I, I, you know, just keeping it brief because we'll have episodes on each one of these other topics, but um, some attachment stuff had begun at a very young age and I had developed this fear of losing people, whether it was death or them just leaving me. I felt that I'd started to take it very personally when people would leave me, no matter how old I was. And I started to lose my sense of worth and ask myself what was wrong with me. And it kind of spirals and stays in your brain. And I know that's very familiar for a lot of young women, especially in our 20s, when things start to you know, kind of come to surface and we have to face it head on in this society. And luckily there's a lot of platforms where people are speaking on these things, including celebrities. And I felt very, I felt very connected to people I once looked up to that I thought that had nothing wrong with them. But I think that the media is both very detrimental to us, but also very helpful in the comparison to knowing that people like my idols that I won't name just in case I cannot handle very similar life issues no matter how famous or you know how known they are so you know growing up with those attachment issues and feeling like people were going to leave me I had either become very clingy or very I would push people away in however way I can and I think that it has come down to this pattern of my anxiety taking over and I I call these my spirals and I know that everybody calls them different things but mine are definitely spirals where I will get in my head so badly that there's nothing that can stop me and I remember my first quote-unquote episode in relation to a guy in high school and he I, I didn't really know what I was doing at the time, but I really liked him so badly that I would try to guilt him into staying, even though he, you know, he had a girlfriend at the time and it wasn't me, but I didn't want to lose him as a friend and I would do this like back and forth thing of like, I can be your friend, I, you know, I can hide my feelings, I don't, I wouldn't say this externally, but I would, you know, feel it, I could be your friend, I can, I can stay in your life, I promise I won't bother you like that. And when he started to say, no, like, that's not healthy for you, and trying to tell me, I'm, I'm also very stubborn. I know a lot of people tell you that. But I would keep pushing, and, and then I would start to spiral, and I would just start saying everything that was on my brain, whether it was mean, nasty, anything that would just come into my brain, I would say it, because I, I would start to panic and think that was the last conversation that whatever person that I'm in the situation with is the last time. 
So I would say things that were mean and, and nothing made sense and I would just keep going and typing paragraphs and just, I did, it, I, it, it was almost like I was seeing red. And it leaves that person in a very uncomfortable situation because one, they didn't expect you to say everything that's on your brain. They know that you're unwell in the moment and they don't know how to comfort you. I've recently realized that it's a sense of me seeking comfort, seeing if that person cares about me in a very unhealthy way. And it's something that I'm still working on. I did it two weeks ago. It's something that is very difficult for me to change, but I'm in the midst of working on it. And I'm telling you right now, the journey isn't easy. But now that I'm aware, it's making me more accountable. And I went back to my first point on self-awareness. So I'm hoping you guys are hanging out with me still. And I'm, I'm hoping that as this podcast gets going more, I'll be able to put in some time where at the end I can answer questions and kind of lead you on a better journey too. Okay, as I was saying, I recently decided to combat my self-awareness and actually act upon undoing the patterns and behaviors that kept leading me to the same result. Trust me, it's not an easy process and I'm dealing with it daily of how to do it. For me, the constant spiral, as I was saying, I explained what my spirals mean to me and Please let me know if that word shouldn't be used, but for me, that's what I call it because I try to separate my anxiety spirals from me. And when I'm in that mode, I don't know how to get out of it necessarily, and that is where I'm currently working on. As of two weeks ago, I was like, I need to end this. I need to know how to confront it, how to help it, and find the right resources and strategies in order to end it so I don't have to continue to feel this way. Harm and sadness is where I felt comfortable. And I know that sounds extremely, extremely sad, but I know that a lot of you can relate and may not know how to put the words to it. I felt that the known space that I felt comfortable in, whether it was chaos or whether it was just feeling sad, that is all I've ever known. And I've tried to find my way to get back to it. And what I mean by that is I, I kind of was the person who was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. If you ever heard that saying before, you know, when things were consistently good, I was like, mm, I bet this is going to happen. This is what's going to ruin it. I'm not going to stay in full happiness forever. I'm going to lead myself back to where I feel comfortable in that sadness. I think a lot of people with anxiety, and everyone has different forms of anxiety, but I think a very relatable type of anxiety is getting back to that sadness or knowing the negative that's going to come out of things. Even if, you know, you are consistently feeling good, 
that you know that something's going to happen in order to ruin it because that's how the universe works to those of us with anxiety. But that's not the case. And I had to kind of learn that happiness wasn't a destination. It's, it's just a feeling. You're going to feel it as, as much as you feel sadness or hatred or anger or frustration or, you know, that you're scared. It's just an emotion. It's not a destination. So in those moments where I was feeling consistently happy, I began to question myself and be like, ah, I bet it's not going to stay that way. And deep down, I knew it was because I felt undeserving of it. And that's kind of where I am right now. I definitely combat myself with knowing who I am, knowing my worth, and going back to that space of comfortability. And it's breaking that that's going to cause me to lose my mind where I'm currently at, trying to make sure that I know that I consistently should feel good, that I can feel good, and that the shoe isn't always going to drop that I can handle those sad thoughts and those sad moments. And I could feel good, whether no matter the negative thoughts that pop in, you know, they pop in for all of us. So right now I've been doing a lot of thought stopping. And obviously I'm going to go through each level of anxiety and each level of types of interventions to kind of help with anxiety along with depression and things like that, you know, coming from my mental health background. But for right now, you know, like the explanation of dealing with my own self-awareness and knowing that these thoughts are just thoughts and they're not me is really difficult. So I want you all to bear with me and I want you to try these strategies and I want feedback on how they help you or how they don't help you. Because these strategies have been around for a long time, but it's just about the, you know, getting into the routine of using them or even accepting that they will help you as, as much as they've helped someone else. And I will probably go through phases like, mm, that one doesn't really work for me, or I don't know if I'll be able to continue to do this one. And I think that is the, the beauty of going through the healing process, to grow through all of these things that have brought us down, you know, at such an early age and now. I think it's very special to be in my 20s and to figure out sooner than later. And obviously I'll give you some insight on how my mom's doing and, she, and her fi- heading into her 50s. And, you know, my grandmother in her 70s and how the different generations of what is making me want to do this now rather than wait and brush it off and deal with it at a later date. It's it's hard work and it's never going to go away. And I think that big piece of thinking, you know, you know, I've said it a few times throughout this podcast thus far, is that once you have self-awareness, it is not going away. So you might as well do the work for yourself because you're deserving of it, just like I am. And I really believe that. Ooh, you know, kind of to end this podcast and thoughts of self-awareness, it's really difficult to prepare for consistent self-awareness. I'm not going to lie to you. And I know I've repeated it numerous times in this podcast that once you have it, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be a, a quote-unquote, you know, kind of like a trip, chip on your shoulder of like, hey, you should confront this. It's like a, one of the little small voices in your head being like, hey, you, that's one of your patterns or one of your behaviors. You want to change that? And it will probably piss you off. I'm not going to lie. One of my best friends and I, we talk about it a lot. We kind of laugh because it's like it's never going to go away. And 
it's a blessing and a curse, but it keeps you going. It keeps you on your toes, and you want to be able to spread your knowledge to, to beyond yourself, right? And you want to continue that pathway. You don't want to stay stuck. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things of getting to this point. And, you know, shout out to everybody that's doing this journey in their 20s who's been inspired to kick it into gear and, and end really re- relational trauma, family trauma, and help for themselves to create a really beautiful life. I think people put on a nice front, and those that don't ever do the work, they put on a nice front to pretend that everything's okay and that they don't have to look backwards and that, you know, what I, what is is what is, and I am who I am. I'm never going to change. I'm stuck in my ways. I think that that's a cop-out, and I think it's just the fear of what this all entails, you know, what this journey entails, and our whole point of life, and I'm going to keep referencing things from psychology and social work, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, we have to meet our basic needs in order to get to self-actualization, but I am a firm believer that you won't meet that top tier, part of the you know, the hierarchy, you won't meet self-actualization without self-awareness. You will not get to that point of life of feeling 100% good or 99.99% good, because I don't think there's ever a possibility to meet 100% since we are always growing and always going to be working on ourselves. You won't get there. You won't accept yourself unless you begin your own journey. We all have trauma. We all have baggage. Why would you let that be the, defi- the defining factors of yourself? Oh, I am who I am. This is who I am. I'm not going to change. I'm stuck in my ways. Why would you, you know, trap yourself in that when you know you can be better and you know you have the potential to really grow and, and change and inspire others? That's just a question that I ask everybody. You know, like I, I've met a lot of people that are stuck And I've seen a lot of people stuck. And something I've been continuously saying, and I love my grandmother to pieces, but I've seen how much she's failed in my eyes because of her mindset of I am who I am. I'm stuck in my ways. And and she's in her, you know, 70s. And she's had a great life. Like, she's had really good moments. But I've seen a lot of negativity and a lot of stuckness because of that mindset. And I just, I just don't wish that upon anybody. You know, she regrets a lot. We, that's what a lot of our conversations are about is being stuck. And maybe one of these episodes I'll do a little, I'll do a little interview with her to kind of show you her, what regret may look like if you don't give yourself the opportunity to create something beautiful and be open to new things, and be open to a new mindset. You should not have your mindset that you had at different decades for your whole life. That's just keeping you stuck. It feels comfortable, but risks are worth taking. Like, uncomfortable places is where we learn the most and where we experience the most. If we all were just stuck all the time, what would that look like? So I kind of encourage people, you know, like jump into the unknown. Let the uncertainty be there. We don't need to have answers to everything. We don't need 
to have a life that's like so structured and you're you're really holding yourself back if this is who you're gonna be and you're okay with it. Like, yeah, there's a lot of people that are. But that's in my book that's not fair. There's too much to be lived. There's too much to be learned. And I hope that you guys stick around with this journey and you hear me out and you try new things and we create great conversations based off of, you know, my mixture of facts and opinions. And I hope that you will be inspired to grow through what you go through.